0: It's Friday, April 30th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Good news, bad news when it comes to vaccines. Good news is that 92% of Americans who got the COVID vaccine returned for their second shot. The bad news, millions of people have not gone back for their second dose, citing fears of side effects and thinking they're sufficiently protected after one shot. Public health experts applaud that high number, but also urge everyone to finish their two-shot regimen. Elizabeth Weiss, national correspondent at USA Today, joins us for more. Next, the FDA is moving forward with a nationwide ban on menthol cigarettes and flavored cigars. Right now, more than a third of cigarette purchases in the US are for menthols and are mostly consumed by young people and smokers in communities of color. Marisa Fernandez, healthcare reporter at Axios, joins us for the upcoming ban. Finally, the CDC updated guidance this week for those that are fully vaccinated, saying you no longer need to wear a mask outdoors, except if you are in crowded areas such as concerts or sporting events. There has been ongoing pushback over continued mask wearing, with some states rolling back their mandates and others keeping them intact. Lena Sun, health reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for why you can toss that mask when outdoors. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. It's everybody's turn. Every adult in America, it's your turn now. So it's the time to to sign up. It's the time to get vaccinated. And and if we do all those things, we do have a really good chance of having more normal experiences this summer than certainly what we had last year. Joining us now is Elizabeth Weiss, national correspondent at USA Today. Thanks for joining us, Elizabeth. You're welcome. Wanted to talk about some good news, bad news. The really good news is that we're getting numbers from the CDC. They're saying that about 92% of Americans who got their COVID vaccine did come back for their second shot, and they're on their way to being fully vaccinated. The flip side of that, uh, about 8% did not come back for their shot. And those numbers could have changed since the CDC gave us those numbers, but there's cause for concern there because uh, you're not getting as much protection as you would be with two shots. So Elizabeth, what are we seeing in these numbers?
1: It was a fascinating story to report because when you first look at it, you think, oh, that's bad. Eight percent of people are not coming back to get their second shot. And mind you, CDC was only looking at Moderna and Pfizer because they were first out and they didn't have data on Johnson & Johnson, which is, of course, only one shot. So eight percent sounds like, oh, that's not good. It's not. People should definitely get the second shot because the way these shots work is the first one primes your immune system. It kind of tells you, hey, be on the lookout for this coronavirus out there and start making ways to protect yourself against it. The second shot is the booster and it kind of revs up your immune system and gets you fully able to fight it off. And so without that second shot, you don't have the same degree of protection. Now, all of that said, The thing that surprised me when I started calling around to public health people and anybody who works in the vaccine world was, oh, yeah, 8%. That's astoundingly great. I said, (laughs) what do you mean? And they're like, no, really, you don't understand. Adults are so hard to get to come back for the second shot for anything. I mean, I talked to people who work with shingles and shingles is a horrible, nasty, unpleasant thing where you get this awful, painful, itchy rash. And as you get older, more and more people that you know will have gotten it. So you know firsthand just how bad it is. And even at that, they only see 85% of people come back for their second shot. And for hepatitis B, which can kill you, it's as low as 45%. So it's funny, it's kind of glass half full, glass half empty. Right? They were surprised it was as high as it was, and yet they all said, and still you really need to come back for your second shot. And not just that, but maybe you put it off. Maybe you missed your appointment. Maybe you were sick. Maybe you were away. Doesn't matter. Go back now. You'll Nobody's going to chide you. Nobody's going to get you in trouble. They'll just be thrilled to give you your second shot.
0: Now, a lot of people were reporting that the reasons why they didn't go back were they feared some of the side effects. Sometimes people got put on their butts pretty hard with the first one. Maybe were scared of what the second one would, would do. Others said they thought they were sufficiently protected with just a single shot. But, you know, despite with those reasons, you know, you're supposed to come back either 21 days, 28 days, depending on which shot you get. If you extend that time, if you go a longer period of time than within that time frame, Does the overall protectiveness become less effective?
1: We don't know how long out, because we're only at we're in month four of a national vaccination campaign. So I mean you're you're still fine. It's four months out is fine. You will still get that next boost. And in fact, in places like the United Kingdom where they were facing a real shortage of vaccine, for a while they were extending the time period between the two shots just so they could get more people to have their first shot just because they were trying to get it into as many arms as possible. We know that the first shot only gives you, it gets you up to like 80% protection. And then that second shot brings you up to 95 to 97. And what we don't know is after six months or eight months or a year, does that first shot's protection start to wane? But even so, if you only have the first shot, you're only up to about 80%. You really want, I mean, 97 is a really nice high
0: number. That's what we're shooting for. So is there going to be a a drive to maybe try to target some of these people, uh, some public uh, information drive saying, hey, come back, make sure you get your full set of doses so that you can be fully vaccinated?
1: My guess is we will get to that. I think right now all the public health communication, money and time is being spent on just getting people in for their first doses. And then when we're, we've got a big chunk of the population covered, I think then you'll start seeing you know, another round of ads that, hey, if you missed your first shot, it's not too late. But that's not going to happen for a while because they have other fish to fry.
0: Well, like I said, this is a good news, bad news thing. And that's why I wanted to talk to you. Some of the other headlines and things that I had been reading out there We're focused on those 8%, and they should because those people need to go back. But there is cause for celebration when such a high number are going back to get fully vaccinated. So that's why I I love the take that you had on it, Elizabeth, because that's another area to focus on is that positive number of 92% are going back to getting their full shots.
1: Well, and I got to tell you, that was a real surprise to me because, yeah, I saw the 8% number too, and I thought, oh, well, okay, well, let me go report this out. And then when I started calling experts, you know, I was expecting them to be really depressed. And, oh, yeah, this isn't great. But And instead, they were like, oh, just happy. <laughs> <I> mean, they, <laughs> yeah. had, they were very surprised that it was that good. They and probably I didn't think it was, was going to be that bad. good.
0: Yeah, they probably didn't think yeah, it was going to be that yeah. good. So, <laughs> all right. Well, some good, exactly. news. Yeah, good news, bad news on that. If you haven't gotten your second one, go on and do it. Elizabeth Weiss, national correspondent at USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: You're so welcome. Take care.
2: You know, and you're right, too, in terms of what this proposed ban will apply to. It will apply to cigarettes and cigars and little mini-flavored cigars that are really popular with young people. And then this doesn't really apply to e-cigarettes.
0: Joining us now is Marisa Fernandez, healthcare reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Marisa. Hi. Thank you. The Food and Drug Administration has announced that it's going to move forward with a plan to ban menthol cigarettes nationwide. I think they're also going to ban uh, flavored cigars in this rollout as well. Um, this could take a couple years to be enacted, but you know, a lot of people are saying this is the right move to help uh, you know communities, uh, you know, young people that get started with menthol cigarettes, uh, people in the African American community who are, smoke these a lot more. So, Marisa, tell us a little bit about what we're seeing.
2: You're very correct in terms of there are a few main takeaways, I think, in this announcement that happened, which is that this is not something that's going to happen in the next couple months, let alone this year. This is going to take a very long time in kickstarting the rulemaking process. And we've seen how slow these processes are before when the industry headbutts the government you know like the tobacco industry to block regulations like these all the time if you remember in 2009 you know 12 years ago warning labels with graphic pictures of how smoking affects the body were supposed to be put on tobacco products and they are still not in effect today and it keeps getting delayed through lawsuits in different ways to kind of push back that deadline of enforcement You know, and you're right, too, in terms of what this proposed ban will apply to. It will apply to cigarettes and cigars and little mini flavored cigars that are really popular with young people. And then this doesn't really apply to e-cigarettes, which is interesting since that's the most recent tobacco regulation that we've seen back during the Trump administration when flavored e-cigarettes
0: were all the huge debate when it came to teen youth and vaping. Right. So that the menthol flavor will only be available on that front. And, you know, just uh, going back to what you're saying, I, I'm not a regular smoker. So I just remember hearing about those pictures that they were supposed to put on the packages. I thought that mm-hmm. was already implemented. So I guess to your point, right, this stuff takes so long to roll out. So, you know, it'll be some time before this all does take place. What is happening right now that the decision came down to actually begin this process of banning them?
2: So I think there was like this weird convergence, I think, with what's been going on um, in current events, which is that a lot of people feel like the health disparities that were exacerbated by the pandemic and systemic racism in public health really shined a light on how this affects different types of communities. And there's predatory marketing and public health officials have been in this fight for years, right? Like a petition to ban menthol cigarettes has been on the FDA's desk since probably the birth of its tobacco unit. And so what really put the fire underneath them is a lawsuit that really brought the deadline, which the deadline was today, to bring the decision down because what the petition in 2013 did, it didn't really necessarily have a deadline. And so there was a lot of back and forth. There was a lot of push and shove. This went through multiple administrations. And so I think the convergence of the deadline and then also I think this hyper awareness from congress and i think from the biden administration and others and public health officials who are seeing health disparities up close and how people who have pre-existing conditions from smoking or heart issues are really affected in the past year and i think it just all of this kind of was brought together and not necessarily i wouldn't say a perfect storm but it definitely is at the top of people's minds
0: let's talk a little bit about the numbers because menthol tobacco products are a huge part of the industry's sales, more than a third of cigarette purchases were for menthols. So non-menthol
2: smoking, or even just smoking in general, it has continued to decline in the past decade. Menthol smoking has, you know, pretty much been steady or has been on an increase. So there's like, there um, within the past like 10 to 20 years, menthol smoking has actually been on the forefront of what, you know, nicotine and tobacco addiction really is. And Public health officials have been, you know, have told me that they're pretty concerned with those numbers, especially when it comes to youth smoking. So menthol has, you know, if you've never smoked before, um, menthol is known to have a cooling effect on the throat. It kind of masks the typical effects for a first-time user, like the coughing and the burning sensations that we hear about. And so public health officials were particularly concerned by that when it comes to young people and children, because nicotine addiction sets in at such a young age. And pediatricians have told me that this has been such a huge issue in terms of getting them off of different products. And since you're creating intervention, it's such a young adult when the brain is developing, and they've just been crying about, the, you know, basically expressing concern about this for
0: years. Right, right. Well, we're on our way. It seems like it will still take some time, but uh, it seems for now the uh, FDA banning, uh, moving to ban these menthol cigarettes. Marisa Fernandez, healthcare reporter at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. you're fully vaccinated and you're outside, whether it's a farmer's market, that, that parking lot, if you're going to be out there for a long period of time around people, maybe a little bit safer to wear the mask. But otherwise, I think it's fine to go without. Joining us now is Lena Sun, health reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Lena. Happy to be with you. Got some good news from the CDC this week about wearing masks outdoors. We can finally put that aside. We don't have to do it, except for, you know, certain cases of uh, being in a uh, big crowded areas, concerts, things like that. But for the most part, fully vaccinated people can go without wearing their masks outdoors now. Something that a lot of people were kind of already doing. Uh, Mask restrictions were being eased across the country anyway, but now we have that full guidance. And the administration and the CDC were selling it as, hey, this is even more reason why you should go get vaccinated because you can do away with the masks now, at least on that front. So Lena, tell us a little bit more about what we heard from the CDC.
3: I think that they had been listening to the calls out there, but because it's the CDC, they wanted to make sure that they had the science that they could point to. And all of the you know, increasing number of studies show that transmission outdoors is way, 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 way lower than indoors. And you know, they know more about how this virus spreads. It spreads in the air when you're outside using basic common sense. There's a lot more air to disperse the virus particles. So I think this is a way for them to say, to folks, look, if you're fully vaccinated, here are some of the things that you have been longing to do that you can do now and you enjoy. And we understand that the lockdown and the social isolation has been really tough. So, yes, please do this. And they hope that this will encourage other people to get vaccinated as well. Because, you know, if you don't and the variants continue to spread, We could be looking at a fourth surge this fall, maybe not as bad as the previous ones, but I think there might be some calculation here is if we tell you now to take off the mask that you can do these things, maybe you will listen to us when we tell you you need to put them back on later on.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that's a difficulty for a government agency like this. They have to move slow. You know, they can't just say, hey, okay, we're all done. No more mask wearing at all, because, as you mentioned, they might have to roll things back. And it's a tougher situation for them. We also saw some changes with regards to the workplace, quarantines and testing. What did we see there? This is
3: their effort to update all of the guidance for fully vaccinated people. And As they do this, they want to make sure that people know that when you're fully vaccinated, there are a bunch of things you can do. If you're fully vaccinated, you are exempt from routine testing if you're asymptomatic, right? And when we talk about people who are fully vaccinated, we're talking about not just like, oh, hey, I got my second shot today. It's two weeks after you get your second shot or two weeks after the single dose. J&J. So you don't need to get tested before leaving the United States if you're going abroad unless the going abroad place requires it. You do not need to self-quarantine after you arrive back in the United States. And in many situations, because you're fully vaccinated, there are a lot of things you don't have to do. Part of this is it's not like very strict boxes. It, it, it uses Common sense and also the kinds of things people need to keep in mind are the various risk factors for if you're indoors or outdoors, if you're in a place that's crowded versus not crowded, if you're in a place where there's poor ventilation or not, and also in a place where you don't know what the vaccination status is of the other folks. Like if I have everybody over from my team here at the Washington Post, and if we're all vaccinated indoors, we don't need to wear masks because we've all been fully vaccinated. But I would not feel very comfortable going to a movie theater, even though I'm fully vaccinated, sit there in a movie theater with people I don't know for two hours indoors.
0: Right. You got to protect yourself against that uncertainty. I do want to talk a little bit about the vaccine numbers so far. So we have uh, more than 52% of eligible people that have gotten at least one shot. We've been talking about fully vaccinated people. Uh, On Tuesday, I think they said that that number was about 37 percent of adults are fully vaccinated right now. You know, we've kind of reached this uh, point where vaccine hesitancy might be playing a part in there, but we are starting to see cases and hospitalizations go down. I know there's pockets in the country where they're going up still and the pandemic is not over, but this increase in vaccinations is helping to stem the flow of this thing.
3: Yeah, and I think what's most important is that, you know, the people who are at highest risk for this disease are people 65 and older, so that was the group that was always prioritized to get the vaccination, and if you look at those numbers, the percent of the population over 65 that's fully vaccinated is almost 70%, okay? There's 37 million people, that's 68.3% as of 325 today. That means... There's still about you know 30% people in that age group that have not been fully vaccinated and there is an effort underway to protect those people. But already you can see in the epi numbers that the hospitalizations and deaths have come down because if that group is protected and that group is at higher risk, it's gonna start reflecting in the trends and in the cases and that is happening. And they're dropping actually kind of quickly those trends and that's really good. And Rochelle Walensky, the CDC director, said this week that made her feel good. You will recall that a couple weeks ago, she spoke about the rising trend in cases and hospitalizations that made her feel like a sense of impending doom. Right.
0: Lena Sun, health reporter at The Washington Post, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is your Daily Dive.